Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the SEMA student podcast. My name is Alan and I'm here today with Connor. Hello. On today's show, we talk about the five key things to do the weekend before your case study exam. In our news stories, we discuss some of the impacts of the coronavirus on the airline industry. And we also have our student questions. Before we get stuck into this week's topic, um, just to let you know that next Friday as a Valentine's Day special. So any of you romantics out there who'd like to, to buy an, a, <laughs> an accounting um, year-long subscription um, for their partners. Um, yeah, you may fr- lose the partner. But <laughs> you may lose the partner, but you gain an accounting yeah, subscription. Yeah. Um, so any of you who are looking for your future SEMA exams, um, there will be a one-day sale on our annual membership um, next Friday. Uh, for Valentine's Day, um, and and if you're not familiar, you can get access to all of your OT questions and all of your OT exams and all of the case study materials um, for a whole year, unlimited to do as many exams as you can fit in in that time. So happy Valentine's Day in advance. <laughs> um, so Connor, we're going to talk about a few things. So um, SEMA is a bit staggered. So today's topic is kind of when's the right time to do it because operational case study is next week and then it's it's the management and strategic the weeks after but I thought the best time to do it is now and we're capturing as many people so we're going to talk about those um, it's Saturday morning some people are facing their first exam Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday coming and we thought we'd have a look about what are those things you can do over the weekend because you can't go well I've got all my study and, and some people can kind of overstudy or waste a lot of time doing nothing with your time. Sometimes as it gets closer to the exam, people actually want a bit more guidance because you can get caught thinking, God, I need to go back and and review all this content or I, I, you can kind of end up overkilling it with too much material. Whereas if you actually do a few really specific things, which we talk about, it can prepare you really nicely. Yeah. So I think one of the things, and this is not the five, but this is the general rule before any exam. You don't, there isn't a rule that my exam is on Tuesday and that means the closer I get, the more hour study I have to do yeah, every yeah. day. So it's not about that. It really is about like you're better off focusing on something for an hour or two and trying to relax ahead of exam than you are doing kind of, I'm going to do 14 questions today and I'm going to work for 16 hours. It just it just doesn't work. Your brain just goes into like a little bit of hibernation. And by the time you get to your exam, it goes, nope, I am not communicating with you today. Yeah, and we've, we've talked before on this and we might not necessarily be highlighting them then with the study things to do but don't forget the the value and importance of like you said rest and getting good night's sleep and eating well and feeling healthy going into that exam yeah so five of the things that um i guess we put our heads together from a SEMA perspective and five of the things that we thought would really help you um which you're getting ready for your your case study exam and the first one is look back at our kickstart lectures and I think we say this about any professional exams we ever talk about. We always say like, it's exam technique is number one Mm. and then probably number two and three, maybe a bit of content and then go back to your exam technique. And it really is understanding, um, we kind of say internally, how to speak SEMA and how how to kind of communicate with your examiner what the topics are, what the things that you have to, what you should do in a case study and nearly most importantly, what you shouldn't do um, needs to, just needs to be fresh into your head so you kind of have a game plan. Yeah, and I think particularly that a lot of the preparation the last few weeks, you can get quite bogged down in the pre-scene and you're so 
in the detail that you stop thinking of these bigger picture, how to approach case studies, what way you want to approach answering the question. So I think it's important to go back to that and get that kind of refresh that in your head before going into the real thing. Yeah. Um, two and three kind of I will merge them as, a, as one conversation because they're kind of the same thing. One is doing a mock exam and one is to practice questions um, in the computer based exam format that you'll face on your exam day. And the reason why I, I would merge them is that I'd nearly give this is the health warning where we say don't use paper and pen ever <laughs> to, to practice your questions. Um, because a, a lot of, and I, I would think, I would think that a number of students who might have failed before or struggled in case studies before who are using paper and pen won't appreciate till they've done it that they could have probably passed those exams. Some yeah. of them certainly. Because again, we always say when you when you sit in front of a computer, you you think differently, you write differently, you prepare differently. And if you're not used to it, it takes longer. And then you're running out of time and then you're under pressure and then you're forgetting the main points to make. So we would recommend definitely giving a mock exam a, a go over the weekend. If you've done lots of mock exams, do one again. Oh, like don't be afraid to do the same questions again. It doesn't have to be, I only do original questions. It's nothing to do with the questions because the, it's a very unlikely that the questions you've done in your mock exam will appear exactly the same on the day of your case study. But what it will do is just adjust to your three hours and your time management and just gives you that that comfort and yeah, confidence. It's, it's all about just replicating the experience you're going to have on exam day as many times as you can. And you'd be amazed the little things you learn and pick up that you then bring into that exam with you, which could save you a huge amount of time or that you just remember to do that just just adds so much value to you on the day. Well, there's a line written down here saying, don't let the CBE environment catch you by surprise. And there's really no excuse for that. Yeah. Oh, where's the bold button? I didn't know there's an underline button. I don't know how to highlight. There's no excuse for that at this stage if you're caught out by the by the format of the exam. Really. Yeah, and I think even knowing how you operate in those CVs. So sometimes students think, oh, grand, I know this, and they start writing it out. But you need to know how much you can write in a certain amount of time yeah. on that CVE tool so that you don't get, get caught by surprise by the amount of time you actually have to answer the questions. Um, number four is is talking about looking at the pre-scene and the pre-scene around the company and the industry. And and we know when we were researching the type of product that we wanted to do, we, we had two ways of doing it. We could say, let's do what everybody else in the industry is doing. Or we say, well, okay, well, let's do it the right way <laughs> in, in our view. And I guess the, the, the pre-scene and the company and, and the industry especially um, – I think has always been a little bit inflated purely because Seema tell you you shouldn't really talk about the industry in real life anyway. <laughs> um, but it's nice to have a little bit of knowledge. But uh, I've seen industry reports being given to students that are 50, 60, 70 pages long. I'm sorry, you don't need... You don't need that. that yeah. That's unnecessary. There's no, no that way. Much about pencils or no, and that, that's or it. Coffee. So like we've put some nice short videos um, and a little bit of content together um, about the uh, Lottie Graphite and Travel Records and ShinePod for each of the case studies. Um, they're not that long, but they give you more than you need about the company and the industry. You don't need any more than that. Yeah. You're never expected to be like whatever about like at least about records. I'd have some kind of an idea, but the lead in a pencil. Yeah. I'm not too sure that Seema expects me to be a an expert on the production pencil, process of pencils. Of pencils. Yeah. And remember, Lottie Graphite could be the production process of ornaments it could be the production process of lamps 
Yeah. It doesn't matter. They just picked, for some strange what, reason, pencils. What I find important with the, the pre-scene stuff as well, and we've talked about this before, is you're trying to get in the, the role of a character and you're going into this company or it's a situation. So what I'd be saying when you're doing that, kind of looking over that pre-scene again before your exam, it's like, you know, an actor studying for a role. You're just trying to get back into that character, think what's going on in this company, get that stuff kind of fresh in your head again so that you then pick up on more stuff when you, when whatever questions you're asked or whatever new information you're given, you're then thinking of it in that context and in the context of your role and how you need to respond to that. Mm. And then the final one, um, and this would be a bigger, oh, I'm not wasting my time doing this. Um, it's the SEMA exam blueprints. And the blueprints are really vital because there's a, anybody who's read them, and again, if you haven't read them, you really should have by now and you should do before your exam. Each um, level or each exam has a set of I can statements. And it's it's kind of all the things you are supposed to be, you're going to be able to do after you pass this exam. So I can do an assessment of a company's financial statements or I can analyze the um the, the supply chain of ShinePod or whatever it might be. And if you can get an idea about all those, what those I can statements mean or where they're guiding you to, it you now know, well, what does the examiner want from me? Well, they want me to be able to use, to be able to prove that I can with all these statements. It's it's kind of a, that's what they're testing. They're not testing pencils and they're not testing industry knowledge. They're testing can you hit a lot of those I can statements. Does that mean when they pass you in your exam that you can do all of these things? And that's what that's their responsibility to test. And if you get those that list in your head, again, that's your kind of checklist. And just don't do anything different. Yeah. It's like really straightforward. And we have things like the, uh, we put up pre-learned paragraphs as well for SEMA. Uh, and they're the kind of introductions to those I can statements and give you some guidance around your case study. But I really would, for the weekend, um, concentrate on exam technique, exam kind of focus, um, how to answer a case study, how to speak SEMA. I think the ta- the case study exams aren't a huge test of knowledge that you've picked up in your OT exams and you have passed them. So at this stage, you kind of have to trust that knowledge a little bit and try and get as many marks as you can through the exam. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for extra content, important news, live streams, study tips and much more. So on to news stories. My story comes out of Germany, where their government has proposed a clampdown on anti-competitive behavior by digital platforms. Um, so this is a story we constantly see, the, these powerhouse tech companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google, and how they, they take advantage of different markets. Um, so this digital law that they're thinking to bring in will strengthen the power of Germany's competitive watchdog. Um, and it's in a bid to kind of curb this power that these tech companies have to engage in abusive procedures. Um, and the idea is that it would make it easier to kind of assess the, when these companies have too much market power and try and make the markets fair. Um, so this is a new trend where we're kind of seeing it's referred to as a tech lash, okay. <laughs> which is a tech backlash, I presume. Um, but it's this idea that um, these companies are getting kind of too much economic and social power and naturally, countries and the public are a bit worried about the, the threats this causes to privacy and competition. Um, so Germany are kind of 
coming out at the forefront of this as mm-hmm. they do with a lot of these things. Um, but it, it, they're kind of, this is being called the most far-reaching tool that any jurisdiction is bringing in, this digital law and, and what they're proposing within it um, to kind of prevent these things like what they call self-preferencing where the likes of Google, you know, push up their own search their own things or um, and pr- kind of preventing these companies dominating any one, I suppose, market area. Um, and then other things like stopping them impeding people accessing data or or people even moving their own data from, let's say, a Google company to to another one. Mm. Um, so when you hear it like that, it, it is all, you know, things that make sense and things that you'd hope come in. But I think, you know, certainly with a lot of these companies, they got to a, a scale and level of power that, you know, a lot of laws and regulations weren't able to deal with even kind of get a leash on this. Well, they have a lot more money to come with getting ways around them than the people do to actually make them. So they're always so far behind. I think the tech thing is really interesting because we've talked in the past about how um, France is trying to keep people and build itself up as a little bit of a tech thing. And if you go back 10 years, all these countries are tripping over themselves to try and get Google and Amazon yeah, and Facebook to set up in their countries it's come full circle. and giving them grants. And they don't want them to leave and they don't want them to take the jobs no, away. And they want them to pay their tax in that country. <laughs> yeah, and, the- <laughs> but they have a, and I'm not saying they're not right, but it, it's like this. It's, it, it is a little bit, be careful what you wish for. Uh, and you've kind of, they've designed the system that's ended up giving them yeah. what they've got because like by giving them access to the country by giving them access to their best people by giving them access to the resources um, they've also given them access of ways to grow exponentially because yeah. they've had they can go around the world and nearly look for the brightest minds yeah and I think the the other side of that is you know it, it takes a few big players to come out and push this and I, I know that Germany are hoping, and there's talk that the, the the UK might follow suit, and France, and that, um, well, not including the UK in this group, but the EU yeah. might <laughs> look to impose um, some some kind of broader, similar regulations. But it does take big players; otherwise, they just work around those countries. Boris um, might let them just do whatever they like. Just yeah, yeah, I think they might be all going to the UK. <laughs> I think they might be going there. Uh, well, my story is about um, Cathay Pacific, and I guess it's there their reaction to the coronavirus. Um, and I think the uh, I mentioned this to you before we start recording. Um, is like in a statement, before we go into any details, they said that preserving cash is the key to protecting our business. Yeah. And you kind of go, well, that's, yes, that's pretty much every business. But it's kind of at the expense of what? So they are a an airline that have had issues and they've had big issues from the the riots and the disturbances in Hong Kong, yeah. for, which have been going on. Sometimes they don't, to, always, yeah. they don't always appear in the media, but they've been going on for a very long time. And now they're being, um, this, to be honest, it sounds like they're a little bit feeling sorry for themselves that they're being hit by the, as if they're being hit by the coronavirus. And it's not the thousands of people who have been personally hit and those who, who have unfortunately died. Yeah. Um, but what they are doing is they are asking staff to take three weeks of unpaid leave as it helps them cope with the impact of the coronavirus. It's profits before people. It, it, but you kind of go, well, it really is, isn't it? And it's kind of, well, if you don't take it, we run out of money and you don't have a job. Mm. And like as a staff member, what, what do you actually do? And um, it, it's kind of, and what they're saying is that they would have offered this anyway. And maybe it's the timing of it all, but like to me as a, 
maybe as a sensible accountant, that's what companies have reserves for is to prepare for yeah. for these unfortunate times. And it, it's kind of, is that at all else, protect the investor. So you can't do anything about um, the coronavirus and you can't do anything about the protests as an airline. But they're not the only... Um, like they're not the only one who have been affected and, and people make their own mind up about what they think of Cathay Pacific. Um, but you look at Airbus, for example, and so Chinese government have asked as many people to work from home as physically possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Airbus have closed one of their assembly lines. Um, and I'm not going to try and pronounce the city that it is in. And they're trying to observe as much as possible um, people working from home. Um, but then there's talk that there's a, a cruise ship that's now in the Japanese port of Yokohama that they have tested positive. Um, Adidas have saying they're experienced negative impacts. Carlsberg, the beer yeah, producer, no, it's, it's going to slowly trickle everywhere. Yeah. Where just the nature of, of what and, it is. And then you look at oil is um, the price is falling because China nearly not quite stopped working, but it certainly slowed down an awful lot. And they're one of the, obviously population wise and the nature of their economy is they're one of the biggest users of oil. So the mm. demand is going down. So it is kind of having a a huge impact. And and it is a fact for companies that they do have look after business, but I'm not too sure I would have chosen the press release to explain it in such yeah, a... Yeah, yeah. In such a uh, academic... <laughs> yeah. Academic way is probably the best way of putting it. Try us for free by registering for a basic plan on learnsignal.com to get everything you need to pass your exams. So our student question this week, one that we've had come in is... Is the Learn Signal content relevant for students repeating in February 2020 from the old syllabus? So anybody who is repeating knows that themselves, but I guess any students who, who are repeating in February because they failed in November um, are are repeating kind of their new under a different pre-scene, a different case study and doing a different exam. And it is only you could only qualify if you actually took an exam in November. Um, so the syllabus is different. Um, but I think, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, the, at this stage, the syllabus isn't the important part. It's about the, the case study technique and your exam technique and doing a mock exam and getting yourself ready. And again, it kind of doesn't matter what mock exam you do to an extent. It really is just just using that technique. Um, so are, would I have said three months ago when you were starting this or eight weeks ago when the pre-scenes came out, that was a good time to were we a perfect partner for this exam if you're repeating? I would have said no because we didn't have any of the pre-scene. We only started doing it now. But I think leading up to the exam, I think we we have really, really good content um, for you to be able to pass your exam. And that la- those videos on what we discussed earlier about how to, to build a case study solution that will make your examiner give you a pass mark is what the key things that you need to know at this stage. So we leave it there for this week. Um, Thank you to Connor. Thanks. And all the best in your exams for those who are doing it this week. And we'll talk to you again next weekend. Bye-bye.